Well, we have come to the end of Revelation. We are in chapter 22, so turn there in your Bibles, if you would, to the last chapter of the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And for those of you who have been with us throughout this series in Revelation, I think we've We've been in Revelation for about nine months as we have uh, been, been taking our time through this book. And so now we, we bring it to a conclusion. By the way, the, uh, the audio and the graphics staff have been working furiously to put this all together. And so they've been staying on top of it so that next week... Uh, you'll be able, if you want to, to get the whole series either in CDs or in MP3s. There's going to be, I think Matt's trying to put a couple of the teachings on a single CD so that we could, instead of having, you know, 30 uh, CDs, we're able to get it down to somewhere around 15 CDs in a packet or one uh, MP3 uh, so that you can get all of the teachings on MP3 on one disc. And then in addition to that, all of my teaching notes, at least the bullet points, um, have been put together in a booklet that includes all of the slides that we've been looking at over the last several months, and so that comes with it. So if that's a helpful tool for you, that'll be available next Wednesday night, and what might be helpful is if you're interested in either the CDs or the MP3, go back on your way out tonight and just put your name in as an order, because that'll help us to know how many to produce in advance, and then we'll have it ready for you for next Wednesday night. If you want to pre-order that stuff uh, tonight, you can go ahead and put your name in and get all that stuff done so that you can have this whole teaching all together. So it's been a joy. I hope it's been as helpful to you as it has always to me. I feel like always, you know, in the role of a teacher, I feel like I learn more than I actually uh, teach, but um, it's been helpful to me too to go through this book again. And uh, and to just see these things that are to come. Because the Lord draws back the curtain. And he gives us a glimpse of all these things that are going to transpire. And so uh, we have this privilege of having at our disposal God's word that equips us and prepares us for what is to come. So let's pause and pray and then we'll dive into tonight's study. Lord, we just want to thank you again for this opportunity to open your word and Lord, what a thrilling journey it has been through the book of Revelation to just see these things that are to come, to get a glimpse of what is going to transpire and how you have given us of these things in advance, that we would be prepared, that we would be equipped, that we would be ready, that there would be no reason for someone to lack understanding, but that because you've given us your word, we can be equipped in our faith and prepared, Lord, that none would be left behind, that none would be unsaved, that we can come to salvation through faith in Jesus, and that's the ultimate purpose of this book, that you've revealed yourself through the pages of your Bible, of the Word of God, and especially here through Revelation, how you desire that everyone would be saved, even to the point where you, in chapter 14, you dispatch an angel to fly around the world to proclaim the gospel in every language. Lord, you have gone to such great lengths, and you will do in the days ahead. You will go to such great lengths in addition to to reaching us. And we just thank you for that, Lord, that you love us so much that you will stop at nothing to bring us into relationship with you. But there will come a day 
when you will return and there will be a judgment, Lord, and books will be opened and you will read the names that are found in the book of life. Then I pray, Lord, that as it concerns everyone here in, in our uh, fellowship, that, uh, Lord, those who have been a part of this Bible study, that they would know, that they know without a doubt that their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And we just thank you for that assurance. We thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. And we just commit tonight's Bible study to you now. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. And everyone said, Amen. Well, chapter 22, being the closing chapter, is somewhat of an epilogue. And not just to the book of Revelation, but really to the whole Bible. What I mean is that when you look at really the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, things come full circle. Let me just highlight some of the things that stand in, in a contrast here in Revelation to the way that the Bible began in the book of Genesis. Just listen, I'm going to highlight a couple of things. For example, the Bible opens in a garden and ends in a city with a garden-like environment. Genesis begins with heaven and earth being created. Revelation ends with a new heaven and a new earth being created. The sun is created in Genesis 1. In Revelation, there is no need for the sun because the Lamb and the Father provide the light. In Genesis, night is distinguished from day. In Revelation, there is no night. In Genesis, the seas are created. In Revelation, there is no sea. In Genesis 3, God pronounces a curse on creation. In Revelation 21 and 22, the curse is removed. In Genesis, after the fall of man, death enters history, and pain and sorrow cover the earth. In Revelation 21 and 22, these are no more. In Genesis, man is driven from paradise and away from the tree of life. In Revelation, God restores the tree of life and has fellowship with man again. And finally, this is the epilogue of the Bible, tying together and giving practical application to all that we have read. So as we take a look together here in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, it is a continuation of basically this theme of the holy city that is the New Jerusalem. Now we talked a little bit about this, uh, well we talked a lot about it last week in chapter 21 when we looked at, at all that was referring to this New Jerusalem, this new heaven, and ultimately new earth. And uh, so far, what we noticed here is the description of the city, which in chapter 21, we talked about that it was beautiful. It was adorned with every precious stone. The city was described in chapter 21 as 1,500 miles square in every direction, 1,500 miles, that it was large, it was bright with the glory of God, it was uh, built upon a foundation of 12 layers of beautiful uh, precious stones and gems, that the walls of the city were high, and that's not to keep anybody out, but it is just to bring border and definition to the city itself, that the streets are gold, and at the same time that they're gold, they're described as transparent and like glass. And so we've seen the description of the city. We talked a little bit last week as well about the population in the city, that is, that believers are present and unbelievers are absent. The demographics, the population of the city, 
will be the place where only believers live forever and ever. Believers in Jesus who have accepted him as Lord and Savior. Unbelievers are outside the city in the lake of fire, perpetually being tormented day and night because of their uh, rejection of God and their rebellion against his free gift of salvation. And what we move in tonight to into chapter 22 is the third part of the city, and that's the invitation to the city. And I just want to highlight verse 17 because here you have the invitation. So just look ahead and then we'll, we'll, then we'll backtrack and study all of chapter 22. But verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. So let's take a look here together at the first few verses of chapter 24. Uh, chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, this is John, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And then one more verse, verse 7. Behold, Jesus speaks here, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Now, a couple of things I want you to notice here right off the bat is that you have some triplets in the 22nd chapter. You have a reference to the water of life. You have a reference to the tree of life. You have a reference to Jesus saying, I am coming soon. Uh, the, the water of life is, is uh, first mentioned actually back in chapter 21 and verse 6, where it says, He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. And then we see this mentioned here at the first verse of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. And then we see it repeated again in verse 17, this invitation, whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Now, this water of life is described here as this river flowing. It says in verse 1, as clear as crystal, from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. So there is this river. Now, some commentaries will say that this is not a literal river, that this is symbolic of just the purity of God and uh, just, you know, how beautiful and refreshing it is to be in His presence. Uh, but look, you know, sometimes we can think of everything allegorically and we 
we then deny the literal aspects of Scripture. I believe it's a literal river. It's very consistent, by the way, with the river in Ezekiel 47. During the millennial kingdom, the Bible says that there's going to flow a river from the throne of God in Jerusalem. Now, this is the new Jerusalem. But it's very similar to the river of fresh water that flows out from under the throne of God in the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says when Jesus returns, there's a great earthquake. The Mount of Olives split in two, half to the north, half to the south. And this fresh water river comes from emerging beneath the throne of God, uh, the throne of the Lord, seated in Jerusalem, and goes down between this rift that has been caused now, this valley that has been created through this earthquake, flows down to the Dead Sea, and turns the Dead Sea into fresh water. At the same time, then it also flows in the other direction, westward into the Mediterranean Sea. And so there's something very similar to that going on here now in the New Jerusalem. This is the new heaven, new earth, literally heaven on earth, where this city emerges coming down from heaven. It's, it's designed somewhat like a cube, 1,500 miles in each direction. And it comes down and and then it is placed upon a new earth. So we have new heaven and new earth. The ultimate heaven on earth is going to happen. And in this city, there is this crystal clear, beautiful river of water flowing down uh, the center of the main thoroughfare in the great city. Now, do we actually need to drink it in order to survive? Uh, We're going to hear later here in a moment about this tree of life and the same question needs to be asked there. Do we actually need to eat it in in order to survive? The answer is no. We have glorified bodies. So we don't need food to sustain us. Having said that, we will be able to drink and eat, though it's not necessary for sustenance. We're going to be able to eat and drink completely for pleasure. (laughs) What you want to do now, but you can't. Um, And so it's going to come a day when we just can eat and drink And it's all going to be for our enjoyment. We're not going to need it because our glorified bodies don't need it to survive. But remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to his disciples, what's one of the first things he did? He broke bread with them. He ate. So even in his glorified body, he ate and and he shared meals with them after his resurrection. And the Bible says that our glorified body will be like his. Uh, When we see him, we shall be like him, the Bible says. And so we can still have the capacity to eat and to drink, but it's not like we need to keep drinking from the fountain of life here in order to stay young and, you know, eternal. Uh, There's no magic here in this river. It's just uh, a... And when you read all of these things that are happening here, really what you see described here are just how clean it's going to be, how pure it's going to be, how bright it's going to be, how satisfying it's going to be. It talks about here how healing it's going to be, the leaves of the tree of life. I'm getting ahead of myself. But you, you see all of this aspect, how eternal it's all going to be. And it's just a picture of just how wonderful, spectacular, and pure it's going to be in the presence of the Lord. But I do think this is a, a literal river that's flowing down here. And it's, and it's described here as pure. And, uh, and, and there's going to be this invitation to drink of it because... It is symbolic of eternity, though we don't need to drink it to have eternity. Our eternal life is secured in Jesus. It's through faith in Him. Uh, So we don't need some magic potion to make it, you know, perpetuate itself. Um, but, But it is symbolic of that from the Lord comes life. From the Lord comes eternal life. And so coming from the throne, that's what it says in verse 1, of God and of the Lamb, 
So there's a throne here, but remember chapter 21 says there's no temple. So it's just going to be this open throne area without the temple, and coming from the Lord is this river of life, this water of life, because from Him uh, comes uh, all life. And so then he goes on in verse 2 talking about um, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Now, we also have to recognize that because there's no longer any nighttime, that the Lord is the light, there's either, either the earth no longer spins on its axis because there is no sun, so what would be the need to spin on its axis anymore? I think it's perhaps suggesting to us that it is just perpetually suspended and that the Lord suspends it, but there's no longer the rotation because there's no longer morning and night. There's no longer a sun. The Lord is the glory, and so there is no nighttime. It's just always daytime. There's no longer, you know, your kids are not going to, you're not going to have to force your kids to go to bed anymore. You know, it's going to be great. They're going to be up all the time. They're going to be loving life. And you're going to be loving life too. You're not going to have to go to bed. There's not going to be this need to get your sleep and, you know, be sleep deprived and then be cranky. No more cranky, sleep deprived people in your life. Praise God for that. You're going to be staying up all the time. So because there's no day, it's interesting that the language here, though, refers to how the the tree of life bears 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Well, if there's no day, how can there be months except that there's some kind of a schedule? I I don't know how it's going to work out. There's no no clicking clock. Uh, there's, There's no rotation of night and day, but there's some measure of... Um, of time in some sense with God such that there's a rotation of crops and as, as, as far as it relates to this tree of life. And there's going to be a new crop every month. There's going to be 12 crops of fruit uh, in, in the course of the whole year, a new, a new crop with every month. So, you know, I don't know what it's going to be. Just, you know, one month it's going to be peaches. Nothing better than just pulling a ripe peach from a tree. Am I right? No more buying this green stuff in the grocery, you know, and then putting it on your windowsill by by the sun and hoping it's going to ripen in three weeks. It's going to be something you're going to just be able to pick and eat and how great it'll be. So maybe one month it's peaches and another month it's apples, you know, another month it's mangoes and, you know, it's going to be great. And, And so there's this seasonal variety here. Although there's no real measurement of time, so this is kind of peculiar for us to understand here, talking in reference to months, and yet there's no measure of time. The tree of life. Let's talk about that, because it's mentioned also, uh, it's actually mentioned four times in, um, in the book of Revelation, and the first time that the tree of life is referenced in the Bible is all the way back in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 9. Now, I'm going to ask you to go to Genesis, because I actually want you to read from chapter 3, of Genesis, but this is interesting. You'll remember as you're turning there to Genesis, let me give you the background real quickly, that when God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and gave them the most incredible life, they squandered it, they blew it, sin entered the human race. But when God first put man in the garden, he gave man the exercise of free will. Because God has always wanted us to have relationship with Him on the basis of choice, not because we're forced to. And the way that He first implemented choice with humanity was by saying to Adam that you're free to eat of any of the trees in the garden. Uh, But there's one tree 
of which you shall never eat, for in the day you eat of it you will surely die. And that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But also planted within the center of the garden, Genesis 2.9 tells us, was the tree of life. Now, Adam and Eve sinned because they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when sin entered their lives, then the clock started towards death. Um, the early human race, that being Adam, lived hundreds of years. They lived a lot longer because the more that sin was continually handed down from generation to generation, the more degrading of a value it had f physically. And so they initially lived a lot longer, but the longer that the sin nature has been handed down, now we have a much shorter lifespan than we did originally with Adam and Eve. And so as they move towards death, in order for them not to seal their life forever in a sinful state, God planted cherubim to guard the east side of the garden so that they couldn't go back in and eat from the tree of life. So look here in Genesis 3. And it says in verse 22. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. See, because his eyes were opened after he'd eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And by the way, the Lord says, One of us, single God, but the plurality of the Godhead. So you see reference right there to the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So the Lord says, the man, man, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life, there you have it, and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So again, God wanted to protect mankind. He had a redemptive plan he wanted to put in motion, but lest man seal his fate forever in sin and be denied the redemptive plan, God had to make, a, make it um, forbidden for him to go back into the garden lest he eat of the tree of life. Now, the tree of life is used figuratively in other places in the Bible in terms of wisdom and knowledge in the book of Proverbs. But the next time that we see the tree of life literally mentioned is in Revelation. So now go back from Genesis to Revelation and go to Revelation chapter 2. It's the first time we see in the Bible uh, the reference to the tree of life. Whatever happened to the original tree of life? Well, the flood comes, destroys the Garden of Eden. Tree of life is uh, no doubt... Um, completely removed during the flood, but it reappears. God has uh, reintroduced the tree of life in Revelation chapter 2, and it's the promise that he gives to the church of Ephesus. So at the end of chapter 2, verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. That's for any of us as believers. We trust Christ as our Savior. We're overcomers. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. See, the, the very thing that man was forbidden to eat after he had sinned is now going to be that from which we eat because now we are, our eternity is sealed in Jesus. Redemption has been purchased for us. And as the redeemed, we're now free to eat of the tree of life. That Adam and Eve couldn't because their fate would have been sealed in sin. 
But now that we've been redeemed, the Lord says, in the new heaven, in the new Jerusalem, you'll be able to eat of the tree of life because forever you're going to be with me. So now that can be sealed. There's no problem eating of the tree of life. And so after Revelation 2, the next time we see it is back here in chapter 22. So let's go to 22 again and notice here three times in chapter 22 that the tree of life is referenced. We have it there in verse 2. We see it down further in verse 14. It says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. And then we see it again in verse 19. It says, And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. So there you have it. So you have this beautiful crystal clear river that is flowing from the throne of God down the center of the street, the city of gold here. You have on each side of the river the tree of life, which suggests that the tree of life is not a single tree, but it is a single kind of tree that lines this river, this river of life. So, you know, if you read chapter 21 and you saw the holy city and it looked a little bit, um, you know, sterile, because as beautiful as it is, it basically describes a city of gems and, you know, precious stones and gold. But it's like, where's the vegetation? You know, <laughs> what's looking pretty here in terms of the outdoors? Now you get a better picture here in chapter 22 of what the city's going to look like with these beautiful trees that are going to line each side of the river of life. The season every month is going to produce new fruit and uh, people will be able to partake and to eat. It's going to be, you know, just this provision for us, not out of necessity in terms of sustaining life, but just to remind us that the giver of life is on the throne and we can drink freely and we can eat freely because now we're spending eternity with him. So that's the big picture here. But this is also an interesting part here in verse 2 where it describes how the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, circle the word healing. It's the Greek word therapia. Therapia. We get our English word therapeutic. Uh, And so when we first read this, it sounds like that we need this tree of life in order to, uh, you know, be a remedy for disease. But there is no more sickness. We already read that in chapter 21. There is no more sickness. There's no more death. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. Old order of things has passed away. Behold, Jesus said, I make all things new. So the word healing here, therapy, actually the Greek word therapia is translated in the New Testament in other places to mean household. It's kind of an interesting word because when you think of household, how's that therapeutic? Well, in the sense that home is a place of real comfort. I mean, if, you know, hopefully your home is. It's not a place of distress and, and stress and chaos. Hopefully, when you think of home, you think of a place that is comforting. And so it's that idea that, the, that even the leaves of the tree are going to bring about this comforting environment. It's not that people are going to get sick and they need, you know, to crush the leaves of the tree and make some secret potion now and start to drink it for the healing. That's no, none of that. This is, this is just simply a reference to just this uh, wonderful comfort in the presence of the Lord that will be provided as a result of what this tree symbolizes in every way. It symbolizes life. It symbolizes healing. You know, the very city itself. We're reading a description about everything that is pure and crystal and clean and healing and eternal and comforting and just wonderful and bright. Everything about this city is going to just be amazing. So needed to point that out because it almost looks like people are going to get sick again. No more sickness. No more death. 
It speaks of therapy. It speaks of just the healing in the sense of the comfort and uh, the restoration that comes uh, here in this great city. And so, verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the, the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face. And that's a beautiful promise to us. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, how Paul says, now we see but in a glass darkly, or now NIV says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. There will come a day when we will actually be able to behold the face of the Lord Jesus. In our glorified bodies, in all of His glory, we will behold Him face to face. That's what it says here very clearly. In verse 5, again, there will be no more night. Uh, They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign for and ever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent His angel to show His servants the things that must soon take place. And then in verse 7, we have the first of three times here in chapter 22 that Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon. And the word soon can better be translated quickly. In other words, when Jesus comes, because, I mean, here John is writing this in the first century. How can it be true if Jesus says, I'm coming soon? And, you know, about 2,000 years almost have gone by. But it means quickly. In other words, when, when all of these things transpire it's going to become something that happens very, very quickly. That's why Jesus refers to His coming as like a thief in the night, because it's going to happen very rapidly when it all does actually start to unfold. But three times we see it here in verse 7. See it again in verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon. And we see it again in verse 20, uh, where He says, uh, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. And then here in verse 7 also, he says, Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Blessed. Circle that word. There are actually seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. Seven times that the book of Revelation says that you will be blessed, that someone will be blessed. Now, I'm going to give you quickly the first five. Just, I'm going to rattle these off. You can take notes if you can quickly. But in Revelation 1, 3, Blessed are those who read, hear, and take heart what is written, take to heart what is written in Revelation, in the book. In Revelation 14, 13, Blessed are the saints who died during the tribulation. In Revelation 16, 15, Blessed are the saints on earth during the tribulation who are watching for the return of Christ. In Revelation 19, 8, Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. In chapter 20, verse 6, there's a blessing. It says, blessed are those who have part in the first resurrection. And then we come here to the sixth of seven beatitudes or blessings. And that's verse 7, where it says, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And we have one more, and we'll get to it in a few more verses. But then in verse 8, John says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I had heard and seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had been showing them to me. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers the prophets and of all who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now, here's what happens. John gets so enthralled by all this that he sees that he just bows down to worship this angel who was showing him these things. 
Now, I love how vulnerable John is because he tells us that he does this. You know, this is not something that he normally would want to brag about. I mean, you know, he's, he's saying, hey, look at me. I worshiped an angel and then this angel rebuked me and said, don't worship me, worship God. This is not the first time either that John does this. If you go backwards to chapter 19, he does the same thing in chapter 19. He sees the return of the Lord. The angel shows him this vision. Chapter 19, verse 9, Then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet. That's at the feet of the angel. To worship him. But he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. So so this is twice he's been doing this. But let's cut him a break. He is in his 90s. All right. So he's just like, are you an angel or Jesus? I don't really know. I'm going to, you know, I mean, come on, let's cut him a break. He's been on an island. He's been, you know, engaged in hard labor. And now he's caught up in this vision. But seriously, what really happens here is that he is exposed to this incredible, amazing sight. And it just wells up within him. There is a desire in the heart of every human being to worship. And he just doesn't know what to do with this. So the angel's there, and he says, I'm just going to worship you, even though he, he really knows. I mean, he gets rebuked. This isn't right. You're not supposed to worship angels. We talked about this a few weeks ago on a Sunday morning when I was t- teaching about angels in Hebrews 13. But it is a reflection of how the human heart must worship. I mean, there is just this intrinsic thing in the heart of every human being to worship. Now, the problem is, we have misplaced affections. And we can start to worship people and we can start to worship things. We can start to worship possessions and money because there's this need to worship. And, and we misplace the true subject of all of our worship. And John's doing the same thing here. And, and so our direction and our focus, our worship should always be on the Lord But John just gets caught up in the moment here and starts worshiping the nearest thing because it's in the heart of every human being, the need to worship. And so he's rebuked here by this angel. And verse 10 says, Then he told me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. Now that's very different, by the way, from what the angel said to Daniel in Daniel 12, verse 4. The angel Michael appeared to Daniel and specifically said, Seal up these things. Seal up these things, because the time was not near. But John is told, do not seal these things, because the time is near. So obviously we're getting closer and closer to the return of Christ. Verse 11 says, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is, the, who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Basically what he's saying there is life is going to go on as it always has. So he's kind of writing parenthetically here about the condition of the world is going to carry on as the world does, but the Lord is going to return because look at verse 12. The Lord's going to return. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Now, notice this here. I will give to everyone according to what he has done. In verse 12, it says that to us. And this is a reward of the righteous in terms of their works. Now, I got to make this clear. Works do not get us saved. But works 
follow salvation and will be rewarded. We don't often talk a lot about this, you know, when we, when we talk about rewards. I don't know, maybe it's because we, we want to be humble before the Lord, but the Lord makes it clear that we're going to be rewarded. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about this in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, A man's work will be shown for what it is because the day, capital D, meaning the Lord's return, will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Jesus talked about rewards. Seven times in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spoke very specifically about rewards. And he said, he who sees what is done in secret, your heavenly father will reward you. So there are things that we do as Christians that don't contribute to our salvation. You cannot be saved by works. It is faith alone. It is by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, as any man should boast. But as a Christian, you want to do good works. And the Lord says, in doing those good works, though they don't cause you to be saved, they are recorded in heaven. And you will be rewarded for the works that you do. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying here in Revelation twenty-two twelve. He says, I'm going to return, and with me will be rewards, and I'm going to reward every believer. Okay, this is, this is long past judgment now. You've passed from death to life as a believer. That's when you were judged. This new Jerusalem, this eternal life with the Lord is going to be about eternity with Him, and you're going to be rewarded here. And you're going to receive these rewards. I don't know, I don't know what they're actually going to look like, but he just says, I'm going to reward you. He's taking record of all the good things that we do, and it will be shown for what they really truly are of eternal significance on that day, and so he will reward us. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the first, the last, the beginning, and the end. And then verse 14, here's number seven on the list of the seven Beatitudes. Blessed are those who wash their robes. And that's a statement of righteousness. In other words, if we've come into relationship with Jesus, uh, we will ultimately, of course, be blessed. He says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Um, a reference to the sins that were mentioned in chapter 21. Chapter 21, verse 8, mentions these same sinful uh, issues here. It, it just is a general description of people who have rejected God and rebelled against Him, and so they're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. So outside the city are the dogs. Now, this is just, the dogs is a reference to, you know, the vile and the immoral. I don't believe, you know, Fido is going to be burning. Maybe Felix, but not Fido. All right. Anyway, let's move on. I, Jesus, verse 16. I, Jesus. That's very interesting. It's the only time in the Bible that Jesus definitively calls himself by his own name. Only time in the Bible. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you, you plural, this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. And the bright morning star. Now he's using these different titles to remind us that he's the fulfillment of the promised Messiah. 
that Messiah was always promised to be the descendant of David. He is the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. These are messianic titles. He is the Jewish Messiah who died for the salvation of all who would believe. The Spirit and the Bride, verse 17, the Spirit and Bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come. Now, this, this is probably a reference to two invitations here. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and the Bride, that would be the church, say, Come. In other words, that come is to Jesus. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. The second invitation, and let him who hears say, Come, is an invitation to all who would receive and believe. Come. And whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Notice this. It's a free gift. And then verse 18. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. Very, very serious final exhortations here. There is this serious charge. Never add anything to God's word. Never take anything away from God's word. And there are serious consequences here. And this is a dangerous thing that sometimes even people today, with introducing false heretical doctrines... Or taking away from God's word, saying, well, I don't really believe in that, even though God says it's true. There's, there, it's a very serious charge here, where we have to be very careful that we don't ever add to God's word, neither do we subtract from it, that we embrace all of it and accept all of it as the inspired and fallible word of God. Now, the, the, the curse that is attached to those who hear the word and add anything to them, it says in verse 18, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And by the way, is book a reference to the book of Revelation or is it a reference to the whole book? I mean, I don't want any plagues. Do I just want the plagues of Revelation or the plagues of the whole? I don't want any plagues. So let's just, let's just accept it's the whole book. It's the whole Bible. I mean, there are a lot of plagues in here. I don't want any. I don't want leprosy. You want leprosy? You want boils? You read about boils? Hey, here's a fancy one for you. 1 Samuel chapter 5. Remember when the Philistines stole the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelites, took it back to their camp? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 5, God struck them with, well, the NIV says tumors. King James says emrods. Now listen to that word. Emrods. Emrods. Does that sound like anything? Emrods. Yeah, it's hemorrhoids. You got to be kidding me. I'm not kidding you. God gave people hemorrhoids in 1 Samuel chapter 5. You better not add anything to the Bible, my friends. That's going to be extremely uncomfortable. And then verse 19, this is if anyone takes words away from this book. And I'm... I'm no, I, I will not go any further with that. All right, if anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, God will take away from his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So very serious charges here as this whole book comes to a close here. But then verse 20, he who testifies to these things says, these are the last words of Jesus recorded in the Bible, all in red. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, Jesus says, yes, 
I am coming soon. Amen. Meaning, let it be so. Say it, amen. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Now, come, Lord Jesus, in Aramaic is Maranatha. When we say Maranatha, we're saying, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace, and I love the way that the whole Bible ends on the word of grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And everybody said, amen. Now, listen to me as we close our service. The Lord here is giving a great invitation. It says again in verse 17, whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. You and I are part of that whoever. And if you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this invitation is for you. For those of us who have received him as Lord and Savior... We're already a part of His family, and all the promises of this book are for us. They can be for you too. You are part of the whoever. The Lord offers for as many as would believe who received Him as Lord and Savior, He gave the right to become children of God. This whole Bible study, if you have sat through this Bible study, and you have not yet received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, don't leave here tonight without making that decision. You've been given the opportunity as we've been reading through this to see the curses and to hear the blessings. The Lord desires to bless all who would receive Him with the gift of eternal life. And it's just that. It is a gift. You can't earn it. You and I don't deserve it. But He makes it available to as many as whoever would receive it. So with that, would you bow your heads with me? And let's close this teaching and this series through Revelation with an invitation for you to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. The first thing I want to do is speak to those of you who already know Him as Lord and Savior. Would would you take a moment right now, eyes closed, heads bowed, and just thank Him for your salvation. Just thank Him right now. Just tell Him, Lord, thank You for dying on the cross for me. Thank You for that water of life and the tree of life. One day, Lord, we will drink and we will eat. We will forever be with you. You've paid the price. You've purchased us from sin and death, and we give you praise. How many times do you have to say to us, I am coming soon? Three times alone in this chapter, Lord, you remind us, I am coming soon. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. May we be ready. And watching. But Lord, tonight, if there's anyone here, or maybe they're watching by internet, and they would say, I don't think I'm ready. I don't know for sure that I'm ready. Lord, reveal yourself to them right now. That they would receive you as Lord and Savior. That they would know that they're ready. That they're ready either when they die or when you return, whichever happens first, to stand in your presence forgiven cleansed for all eternity. Now let me pause in my prayer. Just still your heads bowed. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've not received Him as Lord, do it tonight. Do it tonight. Ask Him into your heart. 
Whosoever will, let him come. Be a part of that whosoever. And respond to the free gift of life by putting your faith in Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that exactly? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to lead you right now in this prayer. And if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, just pray this prayer with me. Just whisper this prayer to the Lord right where you are. Just pray this right after me. Lord Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for loving me. That you would die on the cross for my sins. I repent of my sins, Lord. I renounce my old life. I want a new life with you. So I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse my heart and my mind from all the stuff I've done. And take over my life as my Lord and Savior. I receive the free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. That I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That you rose from the dead. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray this. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Now please listen before you're dismissed. If you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, just take a moment before you leave. Visit with me or one of the pastors down front. We'd love to give you a New Testament Bible to commemorate tonight's decision to trust Christ as your Savior. Hey, listen, remember for everybody, you've just been blessed because the Bible gave us that blessing. Whoever hears and puts into practice these words, you will be blessed. And so may the blessing of the Lord and His words be with you now and forever as you leave here this evening. God bless you. Have a great night. You are dismissed.